And the motion picture is the most important art film ever devised by the human race. It is the, the art form that creates more empathy than any other. It creates our ability to step out of our own shoes. Hello, this is the Roger Ebert Great Movies Podcast with Dylan Cuellar. Jana Gardner. And Nick Fulton. Wonderful. Um, so with this podcast, we plan on discussing the films of Roger Ebert's seminal film essay collection, The Great Movies. We will be reviewing each movie in individual episode discussions, though some may take more than one episode, looking at you, Decalogue, bringing to you our opinions, discussing our favorite parts of Ebert's writing on the movie, and finally finishing up the conversation with thumbs up, thumbs down, reaction, and a rating out of four stars, because Ebert liked a weird out of four star rating system. We will also be hopefully able to bring you some intermittent current events episodes, such as discussing our favorite new movies of the past month or two, from Blockbuster Flare to the Art House Fair, and bring you some episodes about the discourse of award season. If we ever make it through all 100 movies in the Ebert book, which we hope we do, we might either start reviewing the movies of his second great movies book, or possibly, hopefully, be able to discuss our own individual great movies and bring forth some of Ebert's writings about those as well. For today on our intro pod, we will be playing The Director's Game, which we heard on the Ringer Big Picture podcast with Amanda Dobbins and Sean Fennessy, and their guest star, Sean S- Sam Esmail, brought to the table. We hope this is able to bring to light at least our general movie watching history and what has stood out to us in importance throughout our own personal studies and watches. All right, here we go. All right, so I just wanted to give everyone a quick rundown in case they haven't listened to the other podcast where we heard them play this game of what the director's game is. It's very simple, doesn't have a lot of rules. Um, We're going to go through each decade of film, starting all the way back in the 1910s, um, and the idea is to pick the best director who made their film debut that decade. So, you know, we're taking a universe of directors who debuted in the 10s, 20s, 30s, and picking which of those directors we like the best, think is the best. Um, and when it comes to debuts, no short films, student films, TV episodes must have been a commercially available feature film debut. And that's about it. Nice. Um, before we start on our picks, um, what did you guys do to decide like what your picks are? Did you have a system? Was it preference? Was it best? Did you guys rate their movies? Well, what I did is I basically just took a look, and it's very subjective for me. I mean, I tried to do mostly just personal favorite, which movies do I like the best, enjoy the most, but also, I know, I tried to take some into account of just general importance or influence, so, you know, maybe a director who, they're not my personal favorite, or I haven't even seen all of their movies, if I think, well, that's, you know, a really important, influential director, then I would give that some extra weight. Yeah, for me, I, I went with just who meant the most to me overall. And I tried to wait a little bit for size of filmography. But when we get to mm. one decade pretty early on, you'll see that that's not always the case. Sometimes there will be people who have very small filmographies that I'm, I am I may change my mind. I don't know. but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. I also yeah. am not fully committed, especially on some of these decades where I have like three names. And I'm like... I'll see, yep. you know, you guys might convince me to go one way or another. Yeah, there's going to be a few game time decisions for me. Yeah. 
for sure. And like, who if someone picks another director, I'm going to be like, okay, I'll pick the other director exactly. that I had listed. Yeah, it's it's fun to talk about more people rather than fewer. Yeah, and I think for me, my general thought process was. Um, if someone came to me and said there was a new movie found by this director, which director I would be most interested in watching that movie of, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that's a good criterion. Yeah, that's a cool way okay. to think about it. All right, so let's start off in the 1910s. We um, collectively kind of put our brains together and made a short list of directors. This one is eight directors long. Um, I'll read the 1910s and we can kind of... You know, round robin our way through reading each direct, uh, decade. Um, so for the 1910s, um, we have Buster Keaton, Carl Theodore Dreyer, Cecil B. DeMille, Charlie Chaplin, Fritz Lang, F.W. Murnau, John Ford, and Michael Curtiz. Which I'm realizing reading these names now, there's so many names that I've read in film books and stuff for years and have never heard said out loud, so... <laughs> Like F.W. Murnau, Marnau, Marnau. Okay, you guys are going to have to like call me out on some of this because uh, I honestly don't know how many of these I've heard aloud before. He was grave robbed a few years ago. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh my God. Really? Yeah. That's Poor crazy. Guy. That's my fun Murnau fact. But that is a great fun fact. I don't know how fun it is, but. Well, <laughs> surprising. It's the a fact... great surprising fact. <laughs> Given the fact that he made Nosferatu, I think that's definitely <laughs> yeah, it's kind a of fun fact. <laughs> Counts as fun. <laughs> I'd like to imagine the coffin flipping over <laughs> and him just going right up on Coming his up. feet. Yeah, we assume he was yeah. grave robbed and not just he left. Right, oh God, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. All right, so um, who wants to go first on the 1910s? I'll take the lead. So, so I'm really torn between two directors, and this is mm-hmm. sort of going to be a a very game time decision there, there's i have like a a third runner up and i think if i'd seen more of his work john ford would definitely be mm-hmm. in the discussion i've only seen maybe seven or so of his movies and i think he's made over a hundred which the 100 should get him a lot of points but i of all the movies i've seen from these eight directors i think my favorite one is or debt by dreyer mm-hmm but then it's hard to go against Buster Keaton. Like his movies are just so unbelievably fun. Um, and Sherlock Jr. especially is probably my second favorite among the the eight directors' filmographies. And it's a movie that you can just kind of put on, and before you know it, it's over because it's so short. But uh, that being said, I think I'm going to need to go. With, I think I'm going to need to go Dreyer. Um, Ordet I, I think has maybe the most amazing ending to a movie I've ever seen. Uh, he also did Vampire, which is the other great silent vampire movie from from these guys. And uh, The Passion of Joan of Arc is also an incredible movie, uh, which has one of the most renowned acting performances in it. So I think I have to go with Dreyer. I've never seen Ordet, so that's interesting. I have not I either, to... yeah. <laughs> have you seen any uh, Dreyer movies, I've Joanna? I've seen Vampire, mm. and I think I saw Passion of Joan of Arc like in college but not a long time <laughs> yeah i love both vampire and um, passion of joan of arc and yeah the, i don't honestly know the lead's name in the passion mm. of joan of arc do you know nick uh maria falconetti it's absolutely an incredible <laughs> lead performance right. and i think vampire is actually technically a sound film oh just of almost no sound <laughs> 
It's mostly like weird, off-topic, creepy sounds. But either way, yeah, it's a that's a great choice. What about you guys? I'll go next. Um, I took Buster Keaton. It was a tough choice for me between Keaton and Chaplin, but I think there is a physical energy and a wit to Keaton that I don't know if almost any other director has. His writing, while mostly working in silent film, is absolutely impeccable, and the stunts he does on screen, and especially stuff like One Week and Sherlock Jr., is it's it's like super fun entertainment. I really can't get any better than that personally. So, yeah, that's why that's why I picked Keaton. Yeah. How about you, Jana? Yeah, I think I mean Keaton's a good pick. Charlie Chaplin's a good pick. Um, I think a common refrain throughout this, um, especially during the first half, is going to be you guys having like really great film schooly picks, and then I'm going to come in with my like sort of populist nonsense. Um, but I'm going with Michael Curtiz, which is who I put on the mm. list. Um, you know, just because in terms of movies that I've watched more than any other, um, you guys know I love Casablanca. It's one of my most basic opinions. Um, White Christmas is like my family's watch every year Christmas movie. Um, like we just love it. I love the music. I love everything about it. Um, and Yankee Doodle Dandy was another like really important movie in my childhood growing up that I watched with my family a lot. So just have had this really strong presence in my life probably more so than any of these other directors uh from that long ago so that was a pretty easy pick for me Mm -hmm. i mean casablanca is almost objectively incredible (laughs) Um, yeah i'd only seen two of his movies i'd only seen that and um mildred pierce so i I felt a little like i couldn't justify (laughs) picking him in a way Mm mm-hmm yeah, that, how is Mildred Pierce? It's good. It's not as good as Casablanca, but I mean, it, it's hard to beat. Yeah, and yeah. It's, and it's a you know it's a melodrama. It's a different kind of vibe. Um, but yeah, that's I mean it's another very good one too. I've never seen Mildred Pierce, but I've seen uh the the Robin Hood movie he did, um, and uh, I've seen Why Christmas and Yankee Doodle Dandy. I was never a big fan of Yankee Doodle Dandy, but the other two are pretty solid. I think he definitely seems to work well in melodrama. Even for as great as Casablanca is, that movie definitely delves into some melodrama and stuff. Yeah, that's true. Mm. Great picks. I I like our start. All right, who wants to read the 20s? Okay, I'll read the 20s, although there are some pronunciation challenges on here that are going to (laughs) be real special. So please jump in as soon as I start butchering names. All right, so for the 1920s, we have... Leo McCary, Kenji Mizoguchi, Jean mm-hmm. Cocteau, Alfred Hitchcock, William Wyler, Frank Capra, Howard Hawks, Yasujiro Ozu, and Jean Renoir. I want Nick to start this one too. Oh, mine's um, going to be. I'm very curious. Mine's going to be real fast. It's just Hitchcock. <laughs> he's Alfred Hitchcock. He's, yeah, he's I'm, the guy who directed. I'm all in. He's the guy I'm who directed on Hitchcock too. <laughs> he's the guy who directed all the Hitchcock movies. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's a great description. <laughs> no, he's he's my favorite director of all time. Um, even his bad movies are still pretty good movies. He, I don't know what to say. I mean, there's just so much to say about him that they've written many books about him. He's he's fun and he's often depraved and he can be terrifying and he can be really really funny. Um, the way he moves the camera, I think, is 
really underrated in a way. Um, the one thing, the one knock on him, I guess, is that he doesn't always get the best acting performances. But as we go through, you know, the 100 films or 400 films or however many films we end mm-hmm. up covering, that's something that seems to be less important to me. Like, I, I appreciate good acting, but bad acting or only like mediocre acting isn't going to break a movie for me. And Hitchcock never really cared that much about acting, which is fine with me. He cared about the other stuff and that's the other stuff is what is like my niche. So uh, it's, it's easily Hitchcock. I love Ozu and it, it kills me not to be able to vote for him, but he, he drew it. He drew a bad, uh, a bad matchup. I thought it was going to be Ozu versus Hitchcock for you until when we discussed like what we had, uh, was kind of our thought process. You mentioned like um, girth and strength of like the whole filmography. Mm. And I was like, Oh, he's going to be doing Hitchcock that <laughs> decade. Uh, Hitchcock. Yeah. And it's interesting. I think there's actually a couple of really great performances in Hitchcock movies. Yeah, too. there are some like Jimmy Stewart in vertigo and Grace Kelly and rear window. I think stand out in my mind. It's, it's incredible how he's able to be both intensely thrilling and, absolutely hilarious in the same note it's fantastic what are your guys's favorite hitchcock movies psycho vertigo i'm partial to rebecca that's uh, my wife's favorite thank you yeah rebecca's my favorite that's a really underrated pick yeah I, I love rebecca and then psycho like a very close second but rebecca's my like personal favorite i want to shout out notorious though mm-hmm. That one slaps. Notorious is probably my second favorite. Yes. Okay. That'd be my second favorite too. I also, I think it's, I'm assuming it's considered one of his lesser movies, or at least it's just not up there in the pantheon necessarily. But I really also enjoy The Lady Vanishes. Um, Mm. It's a fun one. It's not like anything great, but I just think it's like a really fun movie and it it showcases off a lot of, I think, his sense of humor. Um, So that's another one I like. It feels like Hitchcock almost doing an Agatha Christie kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like on the train, yeah. it's got like a, it has a weirdly bit of a mystery, weirdly goofy ending that I enjoy a lot. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Psycho, you know, the birds, where to go? Well, yeah, I don't really have any complaints. <laughs> Out of curiosity, Nick, because when you were discussing Hitchcock, you mentioned like even his worst films are good. What is the worst Alfred Hitchcock film to a person that has him as his favorite director? Um, that I've seen, and I haven't seen them all, but probably Topaz, which is, you know, a. a a fun movie. Uh, it's like a, <laughs> using the the Ebert four star rating, which we got to talk about that at some point. Uh. We got to dedicate a whole episode <laughs> to how insane that is. Um, I mean, I'd still give it two and a half out of four stars. Like it's it's fun. Wow. I, I had a good time watching it. It's a little, you know, it's it's not top Hitchcock, but it's a hoot. Nice. What's your mm, pick? Did you are you going Hitchcock too? Are you on the Hitchcock train? Yeah. Me? No. Um, <laughs> so I didn't even have Hitchcock in my top three. <laughs> but again, it's more of like, I went with what director would I be most interested in seeing the next movie of? And while Hitchcock is, I think you had a great word for it. He's a hoot. Um, but if there's one knock on Hitchcock for me, is that it's kind of the same formula again and again. Like, I feel like if there was another Hitchcock movie, it would just be another cool, semi-funny thriller, you know? I don't really mean to dilute the greatness of Hitchcock into that sentence, but um, I thought of Ozu. 
I thought of Renoir, but I've only seen two of those directors. So in the end, I went with Leo McCary, who has directed two of possibly my favorite movies of the 30s uh, in Duck Soup and Wake Way for Tomorrow, which hilariously are one of the funniest, most cheerful movies of all time. And the other one is maybe the saddest movie of all time. I was even watching like a little video on um, Peter Bogdanovich talking about um, Make Way for Tomorrow. And he's having a discussion with Orson Welles at one point where he's reminiscing about it. And Orson Welles like starts shouting that like Make Way for Tomorrow is like the saddest movie he's ever seen. And I I wish I could have been a fly on the wall with Orson Welles belting about Make Way for Tomorrow and how much it made him cry. That would have been fantastic. Um, I think I also really love An Affair to Remember by Leo McCary. He's got arguably my favorite somber drama. He's got my favorite slapstick comedy. And he's got possibly my favorite romance movie pre-60s. So I think if there was one director I'd want to see again just to see what they pull out, it would be Leo McCary. And I hope to see the rest of his films someday soon like i still haven't seen the awful truth so yeah that's gonna be my yeah, i just got uh make way for tomorrow on the most recent criterion sale but i haven't watched it yet oh, it's gonna break you <laughs> great <laughs> something to look forward to it's also like the perfect companion piece in my opinion to tokyo story so watch them back to back that is another movie i got in the criterion <laughs> sale which that is a movie i have seen and uh you know clearly a masterpiece so mm-hmm. i think i currently have it as my number one movie of all time the last time I made a list, it was just outside my 10, so we'll see if a rewatch changes it. All right, Jana, let's see. Oh, oh, what were I, you saying, Nick? Oh, I was I was going to say, should we jump to the 30s? Yeah, because I was all in on Hitchcock, so. Oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. Sounds good. All right, I'll read the 30s. Um, so we had, let's see, seven directors. Uh, we had Luis Bunuel, George Cukor, James Whale, Billy Wilder, Jacques Tati, Jacques Tourner, and John Vigo. So mm-hmm. I'll throw it to you, Dylan. What what did you have? Who did you have as your number one? I was really hoping to go like second or third on this one. <laughs> um, it's a tough one for me. What might be tied for first, I expect someone else will pick. So I'll go with my second favorite, <laughs> which is James Wales, who I'm the biggest fan of Bride of Frankenstein and Frankenstein, and um, I find him just an eminently interesting director. I think he's pulled so many different interesting themes out of genre, um, from stuff like Hell's Angels to the old Dark House as well. Um, The Invisible Man, which had its semi-remake this year, is like an absolutely fun thrill ride. I still haven't seen Showboat, but he also has a musical as his final film. I think, at least with my criteria, I would be maybe the most interested besides one other pick to see the next James Whale film. Personally, that'd be my pick. Showboat's really good. You should watch it. <laughs> I, I've, I've been looking up to how to watch it. And I'm not sure where to find it right now. I don't think Letterboxd has a... A place for it. Like a... Yeah, like a where to watch for it. Um, yeah. What what is so good about Showboat? Out of curiosity, I mean, it's tough for me. Like the the images, and I'm also sort of tied up with the songs. Um, it's a very speaking of melodrama. It's a very dramatic uh, musical with lots of sort of like big moments, um, and it really, 
I don't know. It's very. I just find it very gripping in general. Um, I can't speak necessarily to the direction. I haven't seen it in a very long time. But it was one of those ones where when I was younger, I would basically go to the blockbuster and just get whatever VHS of whatever musical I hadn't seen yet. <laughs> and so eventually mm-hmm. I got the showboat. Um, and yeah, and I just remember, and it's, it is beautiful. Um, so yeah, I, I would like to revisit it. You should check it out. So Dylan, nice. Blockbuster was uh, a store where... <laughs> <laughs> and a VHS was before there were DVDs. <laughs> That's how we watch movies. <laughs> I was wondering when the first age-related joke would happen. I didn't expect it I, to be in the I, 1930s, I, honestly. <laughs> Had to be done. Oh, uh, uh, Jana. Yeah, so that's mine. Yeah, Jana, what's your 1930s pick? So I went with, and you know, so the 30s and 40s, I'll just say, no. Yeah, the 30s and 40s both are movies where I've seen, or decades where I've seen like a couple of movies from each of these directors, but not really any super deep dives. But for me, 1930s was easy because there was one director who I have seen many of his movies, and that was George Cukor. Um, Philadelphia Story is one of my all-time favorite movies. And revisiting his filmography, it's really interesting when you look at Philadelphia Story, you know, the 1930s Little Women with Katherine Hepburn, the, you know, A Star is Born, and What Price Hollywood, My Fair Lady, Gaslight. Like, it's a lot of movies about women (laughs) from a single Mm -hmm. director uh, back then, which I think is fascinating. And Philadelphia Story is... It's a hilarious movie, but a lo- and a lot of that is it's the dialogue and it's the performances, but a lot of that is visual as well. Like there's a lot of very good, you know, sort of screwball gags that are, you know, based on choices he made of things that are, you know, happening in the background or just out of frame. And yeah, it's just my a lot of those are my most watched revisited movies from that time period. Mhm. I mean, with the Philadelphia story you put it's Catherine Hepburn, Jimmy Stewart, and Cary Grant together, mm-hmm. and like magic's gonna come somewhere yeah. out of that. Yeah, I mean, it would be hard to mess it up. To be fair, <laughs> mm-hmm. My Fair Lady is maybe my personal favorite musical of all time. Um, it's very classist and pretty sexist, yeah. also. Yeah, that one doesn't hold <laughs> up so much, um. <laughs> which keeps me from like unequivocally loving it. But I think that was. One of the musicals I watched the most growing up, I think, like Audrey Hepburn in that is absolutely incredible. And the songs are fantastic. Um, Yeah, I love My Fair Lady. Yeah, I had that same thought, too, where I was thinking, oh, My Fair Lady is one of my favorite movies. And I was like, oh, I haven't watched that in about 10 years, (laughs) probably for a reason. But Mm -hmm. All right, Nick, what you got? Nick? I feel like it's crazy that none of us are picking Wilder, but... Oh my gosh, See, that was my second no, pick. Or, or Tati, like, they're both so good, but I'm not doing it either. I've never uh, seen a Jacques Tati movie. I will soon, I promise. <laughs> oh, they're a blast. Although, Playtime is awesome. I just rewatched Playtime a couple weeks ago, and Nelly could not get into it, and I'm like, how do you not think this is the most funny thing you've ever seen in your life? So, so I heard someone on a podcast a couple years ago now say how... I think Playtime in particular was one of those movies that you should really wait and try to see in a theater, like when there's a rep screening of it. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, because it looks so good and all that. And so I kind of got that into my head. And you know, they those kind of things do come through LA now, of course. God knows when yeah. <laughs> have that opportunity. But um, but I, I I do want to check it out. But I had I had just heard that you know it's tough watch at home compared to maybe seeing it on the big screen. 
Yeah, I have the Criterion, and I think it's a 4K transfer. It looks great. Oh, nice. Oh, and um, the other, the other thing uh, for that movie specifically is it's not just um, the visuals, which are stunning for a comedy, uh, but the mm-hmm. sound is maybe more important to that movie than any other movie I know of. Like the sound is more than fifty percent of all of the jokes. Uh, so mm-hmm. if if you have a good sound system, that's another like essential part I think to watching um, watching Playtime. But yeah, I just rewatched it a couple weeks ago and it is hilarious. But that is not my pick. My pick yes. is going to be um, this is the director that I alluded to who only has four films and only one of them is feature length. Oh and it is John Vico who died when he was twenty nine of tuberculosis. He's a French director um, who's a big influence on like the French New Wave guys, especially um, Truffaut. But he directed um, a short film called Therese, which is just a nine-minute documentary about a swimmer. He did a, um, a city symphony about Nice called Apropos de Nice. And then he made a very influential short movie called Zero de Conduit or Zero for Conduct about school children, like, basically rebelling against their teachers. And his best film which is widely considered one of the best films of all time is La Delant, which is, if you haven't seen it, it's very similar to Murnau's Sunrise, if that mm. helps sell it at all. But um, it's it's just a beautiful film. All, all Teresa is kind of lesser of importance, but the other three I think are all fantastic. Um, and I felt like since he only had, you know, 29 years to even make these movies, I should throw him a bone. So, John Vigo is my pick. I'm honestly pretty surprised there, Nick. That's an awesome <laughs> pick. Yeah, that's a great pick. Thank you. I've only seen La Atalante from that, um, from Jean Vigo, but that's a near-perfect movie, if not perfect. I, I do want to ha- pose a quick question, though, because for some reason none of us picked Billy Wilder. <laughs> What's your favorite Billy Wilder movie? Sunset Boulevard for me. Yeah. I was double checking to see if there's anything I'm forgetting that would be better than Sunset Boulevard, but I, nah. Yeah, because I haven't seen The Apartment. (laughs) So, which is my number one pick. That's a lot of people's number one pick. Um, But out of, you know, the ones I have, yeah, Sunset Boulevard. He's such a good director. All right. Well, I'll read the 40s. And, um, which is interesting because this was my easiest choice of all the decades. Um, so for the 40s, we have, um, where is it? We have, okay, we have Akira Kurosawa, David Lean, Igmar Bergman, Jean Pierre Melville, Jean Houston, Jean Sturges, Nicholas Ray, Orson Welles, The Archers, Poland Pressburger, and finally, Stanley Doonan. Um, so does anyone else want to go first? No, go ahead. Zinu. All right. Well, these are possibly my favorite directors of all time. The Archers, Powell and Pressburger is easily, I mean, and this is in a decade with Akira Kurosawa and Ingmar Bergman. (laughs) And I automatically knew it was going to be the Archers. I think all four films I've seen of theirs, I have at first perfect scores um if we're at least using the roger ebert rating system out of four um 
I I love how they could go from something like Black, Black Narcissus or uh, Red Shoes, which is super dramatic and fairly dark and kind of perverse, to something like A Matter of Life and Death, which is like a better It's a Wonderful Life, in my opinion, almost, of like, you know, what is humanity and what is heaven and... Also, The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp is probably my favorite war film of all time. I I, I just knew immediately it was going to be The Archers for me. Like They would probably top most, if not all, directors in my book. Yeah, it's hard to go against them. Uh, I, I could see me going for them, but I haven't seen enough of their filmography. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel uh, like I would be cheating to pick them. But the ones that I've seen, and especially uh, Matter of Life and Death and Red Shoes, are... Perfect movies. Yeah, that was sure. that was my problem too. Is that I've only seen Matter of Life and Death, so I have some catching up to do. Mm, you haven't seen Red Shoes? I have not now. Ooh, <laughs> Red Shoes is that's a movie. My, my watch list is just gonna just out of control, just totally out of control. The end of Red Shoes just the, it's <laughs> the middle of Red Shoes. The middle of Red Shoes is, oh has yeah one of. The, the most like jaw-dropping scenes I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the ending of the Red Shoes like hits you like a train. It's it's pretty incredible. Um, who who else wants to, who wants to go next? I'll go next because my pick is probably very boring. It's Kurosawa. Um, mm-hmm. I love Kurosawa. Um, I I actually saw. Uh, Ron in college was my first Kurosawa movie I was taking a Shakespeare class and we would read plays and then you know have to watch like multiple adaptations of each play and so that's when I first saw Ron and loved it and then you know since then like Rashomon I think is not maybe not a perfect movie but real close I love it so much Um, and yeah when I was talking before about how you know, it's personal favorites, and then also I was sort of taking into account, like, importance and influence and things. I just, you know, you can't really underestimate how influential mm-hmm. um, his films are. And so, that's easy pick for me. Yeah, crazy crazy thing is, like, Rashomon is, it like, unparalleled incredible, and it's my fourth favorite Kurosawa uh, Yeah, film. I mean, that's fair. <laughs> um, I think there's a very few movies that have specifically, like, made me tear up out of just like the definition awesome on the screen um like the spider-verse scene where um he becomes spider-man sure. like that was one of them and the 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 like big ending battle in ron was yeah. uh, another it's another one it's just like i can't even believe what i'm seeing yeah and i think that's you know it is just almost sheer impressiveness, you know? I mean, you can have, mm-hmm. you know, a movie like that that is just so epic in scope and huge, and then something like Rashomon that really is pretty tiny in terms of, the, yeah. the you know, the story it's telling and on the scale. Um, the range is just very impressive to me. Nick? So, for me, I think I have a Wells movie and a Donnan movie, both in my top five. Wow. But, Jenna, if you thought that you picking Kurosawa was boring, <laughs> me also picking Kurosawa is even more boring. Like, yeah. <laughs> and I love Bergman. I love Melville. But, I mean, he made Seven Samurai. Like, he made Rash- Rashomon, I, I think, is a perfect movie. I think Seven Samurai is a perfect movie. He did Shakespeare adaptations. He 
he's just so good. And I still feel like there are so many movies of his I haven't seen. I just saw Yojimbo for the first time a few months ago. And it was like, I, th- I think it was probably the best movie I watched last year. He's just, he's wow. so good. Oh my gosh. He, he plays with characters so well too. Like building up and destroying them throughout the film. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah. All right. 1950s. All right, Nick, you want to read this one? Yeah. Uh, so we had eight directors, and those were Satyajit Ray, Agnes Varda, Stanley Kubrick, Federico Fellini, Alain Rene, Chris Marker, John Cassavetes, and Sidney Lumet. Hmm. Okay. Should I just go with the boring pick first and, and get it out of the way, and then you guys can go sure. with deep dives? Uh, I went with Kubrick. <laughs> um, nothing, you know. One... I probably of the rest of those directors have seen maybe one or two of their films. And so, you know, nothing where I would, I would love to say like Agnes Varda, but I've seen like one Agnes Varda movie. So uh, a lot of catching up to do there, but yeah, for me, you know, Kubrick, I, I mean, influential (laughs) is like another huge thing. And then just, I was telling you guys before I saw the shining not that long ago. And it's so rare for me that a movie that I've seen, I know everything about it. I've seen every frame of it. I've seen 18 different parodies of it. Uh, you know, I've seen it ripped off and, and all this stuff. And it still just was unbelievable to me. Just completely blew me away. Even going in thinking, well, okay, everybody loves this movie. And I know everything that happens in it. And I still was just taken aback with how impressive it was. Um, and I, you know, I, eyes wide shut. I think everyone agrees it's a, phenomenal movie i don't know maybe that's a controversial opinion i know <laughs> some places but not here okay good um yeah love eyes wide shut saw that like another trip to the blockbuster when i sort of like wanted to watch it but had to wait until my parents weren't around because I, <laughs> I shouldn't watch it with my parents around um and yeah kubrick easy yeah i just rewatched mm-hmm. strange love um for the first time since i was in college i think a week ago because we were home and stressing out about, you know, the coronavirus stuff and we're getting ready to have a baby. Uh, so I guess it was two weeks ago. Um, and Nelly said, well, we can watch a movie, but put on something light and funny. So I put on Strange Love, which is... Was oh she gosh. mad at you? <laughs> no, because it's not light, but it is funny. Right, it's funny, but it's so dark. It's so dark. Oh I gosh. can't bring myself to consider watching it right now, even though individual moments are so hilarious. Mm-hmm. Well, I just find it so deeply depressing. There's the line that George C. Scott says about, um, "Well, Mr. President, I didn't say we weren't going to get our hair must." God, and <laughs> this movie's like fifty, sixty years old, mm-hmm. and good lord, just so prescient. Yeah. <laughs> Um, one of my favorite just personal like movie watching stories that I've experienced was I showed Dr. Strangelove to a friend of mine who's like an avid war reader. Um, he loves like war history and he also likes frankly kind of perverse violent comedies like uh, Army of Darkness and stuff. Um, and so I was like 
like I think Doctor Strangelove is going to be totally up his alley. He's going to think it's funny. He's going to like the historical element of it. And he said it was just too fu- terrifying to laugh at. He was super depressed at the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah, and he, he had a horrible time. <laughs> and he's like, I'm never watching that movie ever again. That's kind of my strange love take. Like, even though yeah. I totally admire it and I know parts of it are so funny, I watched it in a high school class and was just completely horrified the entire time <laughs> and, and, and Jana, you haven't seen doc uh 2001 no yet. i have not and that's our first movie when we get to the Ebert yeah book. it is yes i'll be watching it very soon yes it's in my top five i think all time it's it's insane it's a good all movie right. uh you guys gonna do your picks I, yeah nick uh, I'm going to go with Chris Marker, who who may not be um, like the most popular of these directors, but he directed uh, my favorite movie of all time, which is La Jetée, which is like this kind of weird, short, experimental French movie um, that ended up, if you've seen 12 Monkeys, it's uh, an homage, or if you're being less charitable, a ripoff of <laughs> La Jetée. Feature like uh, three bake, sort of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then he also, he's done, I think that's his only, um, like, fiction film. Most of his other work is documentary. So he's done a, a bunch of cool travelogues, and he did a, a really interesting movie called La Jolie Mai, which uh, I'm probably butchering that pronunciation, um, which is a really interesting, like, kind of interviewing people on the street doc. But uh, my favorite documentary of all time is also a Chris Marker movie, and that's called Sans Soleil, which is sort of a travelogue slash, uh, like, philosophical musings. And those two were paired together in the Criterion uh, box set of him, or of his his movies. So it, it had to be Chris Marker for me. Um, I do love Cassavetes, and obviously Kubrick um, is inarguably <laughs> an amazing director. But for sentimental reasons, I can't not pick Chris Marker. Uh, what about you, Dylan? Mm-hmm. So I had a rule when at least putting my um, honorable mentions together, and I also wanted to have this rule when I was picking my favorites, of I needed to at least see two movies of the director to be able to pick them. What? <laughs> and I'm going back and forth between two people that I don't necessarily think I can argue I've even seen two movies of them from. Um, can I guess? One of them... Yeah, you can Is guess. Is it Varda and Rene? It's not Varda and Rene. I've actually seen three Rene okay. movies. And um, it's Varda, which I've seen Cleo 5 to 7 multiple times. It's one of my favorite movies. And I didn't even know this was Agnes Varda until about a few months ago when I got on Letterboxd. And I realized The Beaches of Agnes, which is a documentary I watched in maybe 2010 because my parents just got it on the netflix dvd queue which i looking back like i it's like a movie i forgot about and then re, like was images had been brought back to me after i saw it pop up it was it's a really gorgeous and fun um and interesting kind of sad documentary um and the other one so that 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 was a good pick but the person i think i'm going with is satajit ray i'm not sure if i'm saying that pronoun uh correctly um, I've only seen the Apu trilogy, 
But that's three movies. That counts as three movies because I've totally only seen three movies. Okay, I've only seen the first third <laughs> I, of that, so I felt like I couldn't pick him. It, was it too sad? To continue? no, I we saw it in a. Um, there's a, a theater in Cleveland that that shows like repertory screenings every now and then. They happen to be showing just Pother Punchley, so I wanted to see mm. it, and we saw it, and it's very very good. It's very good. It's very sad. It's very beautiful. Um, and I think out of all the directors, I'd probably want to see him and maybe Varda again. Um, it's hard to go against Kubrick and Fellini, though, but I'm kind of going back to my Hitchcock thing where they have their own visual film style. And there's more I would just want to explore with Satyajit Ray and Agnes Varda and something very beautiful and i think they speak more to like the kind of movies i like which are more humanist and i mean not for a lot of the apu, the apu trilogy but more hopeful um it winds up at least on a semi-hopeful note though but yeah so that, that that's i'll probably go with ray that'll be my pick i'll go with ray um who's gonna read the 60s i'll, turn is I'll it read the read? 60s sounds good okay Got a ton of ton of. Directors. I know we had a lot from. Yeah, the, the list is getting longer and longer. Um, all right, so 1960s we have Peter Bogdanovich, Werner Herzog, Andrei Tarkovsky, Milos Forman, Toby Hooper, Brian De Palma, Mel Brooks, Sergio Leone, Richard Lester, David Cronenberg, our meaning Nick's Martin Scorsese, and <laughs> Isao Takahata. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I I just want to go after Nick. That's all I ask. <laughs> you just want to let Nick go first, and then uh... just cause, just because I know Nick's going to be picking between one of two directors. No, I'm going to be picking between one of one director. Yeah, I was going to say, what do you think's going to really? happen? Really, he's that good for you. <laughs> yeah, the our Martin Scorsese is something that I've been insisting he must be referred to as since um, Bong Joon Ho referred to him as our the, he, during his best director speech at the Oscars this year. He said. He, he gives a quote, and he said that was from our Martin Scorsese. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> and he's he's another guy like Hitchcock for me, where he, other than Boxcar Bertha aside, which I feel like isn't his fault, other than that, even his worst movie is still at least entertaining. Um, he's made so many movies that I think are straight-up masterpieces, and it's not just the movies he's directed, but he he helps with film preservation and he helps bring other movies like the the box sets that he's made. He's helped like um, uh, bring about for the Criterion Collection and other movies like um, <laughs> I Am Cuba, which is a favorite movie of mine, was kind of lost and forgotten until he stumbled upon it and forced i think it was tiff to to show it and then it became popular again like in the 90s um he's not just a great director but he's a great film historian and a great just film he, he likes film more than more than anyone else in the world and you can feel that in all of his movies and when you listen to him talk he's the most fun to per- person to listen to talk about movies um i I love him. I think he's the best working director. I would like to someday meet him and give him a hug. <laughs> That's so cute. Wonderful. So I, I hope I'm remembering this story correctly, um, but I'm pretty sure I read last year um, t- a story talking about how he like 
uses his clout to help like newer and younger filmmakers get movies made as well. Um, and I think the example was maybe the souvenir. He produced, he, yeah, he produced yeah, that. That he pr- that he produces these movies. And the story I read anyway is that when he signs on to produce, he asks for final cut, and then he gives final cut to the director, who wouldn't get it otherwise. I want to so, give like, him two hugs, <laughs> right? I know. So I, I, I <laughs> that's incredible. Right, I, I, I always like Martin Scorsese, but then I read that story and I was like, that is amazing. Wow. Okay. Do you want to go next, Jen, or do you want me to go next? Um, I'll go next. I mean, I think probably okay. if we didn't just have our ode to Martin Scorsese, I would probably go Scorsese. Um, but I'm going to use my time um, to do my own just personal sentimental pick on this one, uh, which is Richard Lester. Um, I am a Beatles super fan. If you guys can see very far behind me, those little squares are all like Beatles art prints um, and like Beatles puzzles and things that are all framed on my wall. Um, I have the music, musical taste of, well, essentially my 70-year-old dad. So <laughs> um, anyway, I have seen Hard Day's Night and Help so many times. Um, I think Hard Day's Night is a truly amazing movie. Um, speaking of influential, it's so irreverent and it's so funny and it feels, I think, like groundbreaking even now in terms of just its like lighthearted attitude and all of its gags. And uh, I also stand up for help. It's hard to recommend that movie in 2020. Its racial politics are very bad. Uh, a lot of brown face happening, uh, a lot of sort of jokes about like the exotic east and they're kind of joking and then also kind of not but it basically plays i mean it's monty python before monty python in a lot of ways and like eric idol was very influenced by these beatles movies um friends with george harrison and watching it now in retrospect it feels like oh they must have you know been really into monty python and then i found out that these movies came out first and yeah that's just my my sentimental pick i know that's not you know I I have no strong feelings about Superman 2 and 3, whatever. <laughs> <They're>, <laughs> those Superman movies are fine. Who cares? I just wanted to talk about the Beatles movies. Well, I have one bone of contention to pick with you, Nick. Um, actually, two. Um, one is, I think, Martin Scorsese is a wonderful speaker of film. I think my second choice of this decade <laughs> is even better. Just Peter Bogdanovich. I think Peter Bogdanovich speaking about film is the best thing. I've already referenced an interview with him. I love Peter Bogdanovich. And I would have picked him if I thought you maybe would have gone Tarkovsky. Because you didn't go Tarkovsky and you kind of went the way I was possibly Tarkovsky is like my third favorite director of all time. He just happened to be up against Scorsese. <laughs> yeah, and I, so I'm, I'm going to pick Tarkovsky. I think there's so much beauty in Tarkovsky, especially in Mirror, which is one of my favorite films of all time. And quite a lot of his films, he's able to make absolutely visceral, dark, cerebral movies without hardly ever breaking a G or PG rating usually, which is kind of refreshing. Like, I think Mirror is G, and I think Stalker uh, um, is is PG. How is Mirror G? It's so upsetting. (laughs) It's so upsetting, but there's no, like, super, like, graphic content or, you know, like, there's not, like, any nudity or any 
outright bloody violence or something. But like I even I was looking on IMDb the other day because my brother wants to try a Tarkovsky movie and he's um he doesn't want he doesn't usually like anything too violent or something. Like he can handle violence, but it's just not his thing. So and I was looking, it's like yeah, Stalker's only like PG mirrors G. Like th- this is like a director that like I feel like anyone that's interested in filmmaking like I can basically recommend him to and have them come away with some form of it it's absolutely incredible emotional filmmaking with quite often doing so little and i really appreciate that solid 70s is it my turn to read yeah is this our longest one i think it is our it looks like the longest one yeah big decade and this was this was my hardest one this was agonizing and i still i have three picks i'm going to read these and let you guys go first just to make my life a little bit easier all right starting at the top we have i've never said his name out loud so abbas kiriostami nick is that kiriostami right? is how i've heard it yeah abbas kiriostami okay david lynch errol morris hayao miyazaki jackie chan nice one nick mike lay nicholas rogue paul vero haven or is that how you Verhoeven. pronounce Verhoeven? Verhoeven. Again. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> Peter Weir, Ridley Scott, Steven Spielberg, Terrence Malick, and Wim Wenders. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's a W or a V. That's probably a V sounding because he's German, Yeah, right? he uses a V. Yeah. Wim Wenders. Last but not least. Definitely not least. All right. Um, Jana, I'm curious. I want, I want you to go first okay. on this one. So... This is one where I'm not picking any director where I've only seen one movie. I think we're all trying um, to probably do that. But it would be very close for me with Kiristami. Um, I've only seen Certified Copy, but oh my god, Certified Copy. (laughs) Like I, (laughs) It's kind of good enough that I'm like, maybe I could just pick. (laughs) Is this controversial? No. (laughs) So when I was like trying to watch through movies I had missed last mm-hmm. decade for um, my my list that I was putting together mm-hmm. of the twenty tens, um, Nick kept on emphasizing um, certified copy and Kiristami, and I was like I don't know if the, like I don't, I don't I don't know if I'm gonna like this. I mean I like Julia Bernard, mm-hmm. she's awesome. Um, and I just I remember texting um, Nick after I ended. I was like, Are you the person that liked certified copy? And I think Nick kind of worryingly went like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I was like, That was fucking amazing. That was amazing. It's it's absolutely amazing. Um, Especially the last act. Oh my god. Just... Yeah. I mean, it's obviously I guess the point of a movie is that you know how it affects you as it goes on and and where you start versus where you finish and as you realize what you're watching or what you're not watching. Um, but yeah, I, oh my God, Kurosami. Um, but, and you know, and same thing, like David Lynch, um, I, Mulholland Drive is one of my like top three favorite movies of all time. We're not going to have a whole Lynch conversation. Um, I haven't seen enough of his film. (laughs) We might be. Um, so anyway, this is a long way of being like, okay, it's, I, I can circle back around to my basic opinions and. Steven Spielberg, guys, like he's a pretty big time director. I don't know if you've seen his movies. Um, they're good and I like them. Um, you know, it's not that complicated. I will say I was very late comer to Jaws. I only saw Jaws a couple of years ago 
impressive movie. Like <laughs> another one where wow. another one where I thought I knew everything about it. I'd seen it all the scenes. I you know, and still sat down and watched it and was wow, he really pulled this off and he was but he was still in his twenties when he made that. Um kind of alarming. But yeah, it's like you said, there's entire books and things everyone knows everything about Steven Spielberg, but yeah, that's, you know, kind of undeniable for me. I think Steven Spielberg... Is overrated. No offense to your pick. I think he's a little overrated. He's not my favorite, but he still has... How do you has... feel about the Indiana Jones movies? <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> I, feel, I feel like that might be the, where this, this turns. Because I feel like if you're either in or you're out, that might be... I love the first three. Oh, okay. Enough. Well, Temple well, of yeah. Doom isn't perfect. I, I love Temple but, of Doom. Um, uh, again, weird uh, it's, cultural politics. Those, those are, <laughs> yeah, but those are just three absolutely fun movies. And I, I mean, I, I think Steven Spielberg is a semi-overrated director, and he still has up to three to five solid masterpieces, almost inarguably. Did you like The Post? Uh, no. Oh, okay. I, I, didn't like, I, I didn't like the post either. Like some of his more recent stuff, I haven't been mm-hmm. as high on. But his historical dramas and stuff. But man, his filmography is hard. Yeah, hard to argue with. Like, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah, I yeah, and sure. I'm more in on the recent stuff. I I did really like the post. The scene. Well, I'm not gonna try to sell you on it, but the scene in the post where Meryl Streep, like when Catherine Graham decides to publish the story, like. It's that it's very basic like Spielbergy stuff where it's you know, it's not super complicated. But I I got chills watching it, mm-hmm. um, and I'm a big Lincoln fan. Love Lincoln. Um, I love yeah, Lincoln. I do. Yeah, I love Lincoln. So, oh, I'm out. Of, I'm out, <laughs> out on Lincoln. Lincoln I still can't believe Tommy Lee Jones was nominated for best supporting. I don't like Tommy Lee Jones in that. I will give. Yeah, I actually he's Thank he's you. my least favorite part. Thank yeah, you. no, I he, like there's. Five supporting performances better than I would than Tommy nominate Lee Jones James Spader. Like, you know, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so. Yes. <laughs> Fair enough. Anyway, the re- okay, but the reason I face palm when you brought up <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark is um So one of my most memorable blockbuster experiences, which yes, <laughs> I still went to Blockbuster guys, was my parents took me and they my dad came across Raiders of the Lost Ark and he was like, Dylan, you're eight years old now it is time <laughs> <laughs> and because you know the cover of raiders of the lost ark if or it at blockbuster mm-hmm. you know it's just the blockbuster right. logo i had no idea what i was oh, in sure. for. all i knew was the title and um all i knew about the because i'm a dumb eight-year-old all i knew about raiders was like arg pirates from oakland sure, sure yeah <laughs> And so I, like, I was picturing Arg pirates, and Ark, which I thought only meant boat, by the biblical term of Noah's Ark. Sure. And when it was in the desert with no pirates, I was so mad. <laughs> you felt lied to. <laughs> I was so confused, but like now, like knowing the title, knowing the movie, it's very, it's honestly a wonderful title. I don't like any movie Just, that doesn't have either. A pirate or a desert. (laughs) (laughs) Nick's new favorite film, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. All right. So so you guys do yours. I'm all done. 
All right, Nick. Oh God, this this decade sucks. I mean, <laughs> like it doesn't Thank it you. doesn't suck. It's just it's it's so painful because I love Spielberg, but I don't even mm-hmm. know if he's in my top three because yeah. I really have to figure this out. This is going to be a conversation because. <laughs> Do you have a three-year bounce? Yeah, Terrence Malick. I mean, me his, his top movies mean so much to me, and especially Tree of Life. Um, mm-hmm. Hayao Miyazaki. We got to go to the Miyazaki Museum just a few months ago, or the Ghibli Museum a few months ago, which was incredible. And he's made such just moving, excellent. Like, he's the best animated filmmaker i think there ever has been probably ever will be but david i honestly think his only competition is isa takahata and then david lynch made not only some of the most kind of darkest most disturbing movies of the last like 40 years but he also made probably the best season of any TV show in Twin Peaks season three. I feel like I wouldn't be able to sleep if I picked anyone besides Hayao Miyazaki. Oh, thank <laughs> I just, I, I have a whole shelf in my basement of just like Hayao Miyazaki studio Ghibli knickknacks. We would, when we were in Japan, mm-hmm. we, like every time we would go to a store that would sell studio Ghibli, little like plastic two dollar figurines i'd be like oh i gotta buy like seven of these so i yeah, yeah i have to pick him i oh, like thank thank I, you I, I feel bad for david lynch because i know he's not gonna get picked because you're a heathen but he <laughs> i'm sorry it's when i earlier talked about hopeful humanist filmmaking as like the my probably biggest draw to you movies. don't feel on, you don't find blue velvet to be hopeful <laughs> I feel hopeful about finding an ear in my backyard. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Anyway, I I'm so glad you picked Hayao Miyazaki because I didn't I, I was struggling and that limits my choices down by one at least. I think Hayao Miyazaki might have the best ratio of masterpieces to filmography of maybe any director. Of at least not um, four or five movies. Like, almost everything he's done is quite perfect. Even his lesser movies, like Poco Rosso, I think is brilliant. And Spirited Away, My Neighbor Totoro, Princess Mononoke. It's just, it's unbelievable. Especially that Jana hasn't seen a nope, single not one. Of these movies. I, say, I think you just also listed almost all of them. <laughs> you're like listing the good ones. I'm like, I think you're running out of Miyazaki it's true. movies. Well, we haven't even talked about The Wind Rises, which uh, is the only. Oh my god! The it's wind. the only so, one of his movies that made me like weep, like so wept. I do want to start watching Miyazaki movies. I'm trying to get better about animation and being more open minded to animated films. Um, but oh boy, will I not be starting with the wind rises? <laughs> like I know that's end with wind rises. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I totally believe they're all masterpieces. All the like beautiful clips I've seen like look great. <laughs> that Totoro mm. seems real cute. He's super. Cute. Oh my he god, seems real cute. You don't even know. He's a funny little, well, not little, uh, but funny looking dude. There are some little Totoros though. Sounds adorable. 
it it's really cute. And I think the train scene in Spirited Away is maybe my favorite scene of all time. I, I sat on the train that was the inspiration for the train. Wow. Really? Yeah, that's cool. It's just it's awe-inspiring. I think it's probably the last well, thing I ever posted to Instagram because I never use Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nick, I'm just like immensely thankful you went with Hayao because I was probably going to go Hayao and that leaves out two directors that I adore and one of them is Abbas Kiristami but I've only seen two of his movies which is Certified Copy and Close Up and I think Close Up is perfect but the director I'm going to go with which no one's mentioned so far which is kind of angering and is arguably personally one of my favorite directors of all time is Mike Lay. I think Secrets and Lies is like the perfect movie. He has made so many other good things. Happy Go Lucky is a joy. Another Year is so thoughtful. Vera Drake is quite frankly almost terrifying to a point. With starring Aunt Lucy. (laughs) Starring Aunt Aunt Lucy. Um, and oh my gosh, she is so good. Imelda Staunton is, I think, her name. Yeah. Um, absolutely fantastically performance. I still haven't seen Naked, which I think is his both highest rated and most popular movie on Letterboxd. And I'm going to have to get around to that because David Thewlis is oh, a that's god David Thewlis, right. in, human, in human skin. Um, and I also really am dying to see Peter Lou. I was going to ask if either of you had seen Peter Lou. I haven't, no. I haven't. I did, yeah. I saw it. It played uh, the theater by my house. Uh, It's good. It's really good. Is it it as perfect as a Mike Lay fan would hope? I mean, it's the only Mike Lay movie I've seen, but... (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) I just... All kinds of revelations. Um, But it's good. Um, it, It is... Oh, and Mr. Turner. Mr. Turner. Oh my gosh! Yeah, but no, you should. Uh, I love Peter. Mike Lee. Peter, Lee, I did get the sense um, from reading stuff written by other Mike Lee fans that they love it. So I don't think you'll be disappointed. I hope so. I, I mean, I think Hayao is probably the best director, and Abbas, if I had seen more of him, is sure. arguably next to him. But personally, for me, I just I really respond to Mike Lee films. Um, Naked is. Especially Naked is a great movie, um, and Peter Thulis is or, or David Thulis is incredible in it. Um, it's one of those movies where I think it ages fine because he does and says such horrible things, <laughs> but he's it's part of who he is, so you have to just kind of accept that. Mm-hmm. So I think I think I, it's aged okay. There are a lot of people who I know will. Like, if that was made today, people would be up in arms. (laughs) That is one thing kind of keeping me from that movie. But personally, I think Mike Lay is maybe the most thoughtful director of all time. And if anyone's going to pull off a disgusting scumbag of a character, it it quite possibly could be. I think he does. Um, Yeah, I think he does. All right. So, yeah. Thank you for picking High House so I could pick (laughs) Mike Lay. That means a lot to me, Nick. I thought Jana was maybe going to go with Abbas for a second, I too, and I was going to be like, I talked myself into it, I... but... He is so good. And you, you haven't, haven't seen, seen Close, close Up, up then, yet, no. Jana? Just certified copy. 
If you like certified copy, what, what if you, you like of- certified copy, you're gonna love close up. Yeah, good to know. It's it's so strange. Is <laughs> maybe okay. a good way to put it, but it's great. I love it. All right, um, Nick, you want to read eighties? Sure. We got thirteen directors. Um, we have Catherine Bigelow, the Cohen brothers, Rob Reiner, Spike Lee, Wong Kar Wai, Pedro Almodovar, Harold Ramis, Penny Marshall, Tim Burton, Steven Soderbergh. Claire Denis, Michael Haneke, and Michael Mann. That's an interesting group. Would you guys mind if I go yeah, first? Because yeah, I'm please. gonna, for once, I'm gonna do the boring pick. Because I honestly don't know too much of the '80s directors. It might be the decade I'm least certain of. I love the two movies I've seen by Wong Kar Wai. I adore the two Spike Lee movies I've seen. I like Rob Reiner. But it's the Coen Brothers for me. Like I, that's the director I think I've seen more than two movies of out of all of them, and almost every Coen Brothers movie is perfect. Especially, and I, I keep on harping this, but A Serious Man is incredible. Big Lebowski is somehow still underrated, even though they put him on Hot Topic t-shirts, which is the wrong way, in my opinion, yeah. to memorialize that character. And Fargo is Fargo. And I just, like... There's nothing bad I could say about the Coen Brothers movies. They're absolutely and, fantastic. And yet you and didn't even name what is probably their best movie? What the f- are you talking about, Nick? It's either Big Lebowski, Fargo, or a serious uh, The gentleman named Lewin Davis would beg uh-huh. to differ. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, I, I, I know you yeah. two really, really they, like that movie. I love that movie, too. It's just, it's not top five they drive past akron in that movie it's the only time we've ever been mentioned in a movie (laughs) (laughs) like let me have this one thing yeah that's that's not one of their warmer or more humanist films i would say dylan so it does not surprise me that that does not resonate neither is fargo honestly no but i mean fargo's a little bit funnier um but you know for Mm -hmm. all my my sort of complaining about not liking sad things for some reason inside with inside Lewin davis that doesn't bother me at all it's such a sad movie movie. and yet i can just watch it over and over and over i think it's so beautiful i think it's their best looking of their movies to me uh maybe watch a serious man that's true arguably yeah (laughs) um i think give between um um inside Lewin davis and grand budapest hotel we as film culture we need more f murray abraham tiny cameos in important roles because same year inside lewin davis and that was a wild year for him (laughs) he brings so much sweetness and heart to both very sad movies and he's not even playing like happy parts but like he is so evocative in his performances in both those movies and especially lewin davis stands out yeah i love i see what you're saying but i don't (laughs) I don't see a lot of money in it. Yeah, I was gonna say too. <laughs> I don't see the money in it. I get it. I get it. I just, I, Amadeus is a per, yeah. like one of my personal favorites, and I just want more of him. He's so good. I, I, I love his role in Lewin Davis. It's a, and John Goodman. How has John Goodman not got an Oscar nomination yet? Can we uh, quickly just be yeah. like, it's insane. Yeah. Yell into our mics. He, he should have gotten one for um, Ten Cloverfield Lane. Like he was, he should have. He, he was. Oh my! He was on my list that year. He was so good in that movie. He's amazing in that movie. <laughs> what is wrong with people? He should have got. Oh my god! He should have gotten three in Coen Brothers movies yeah. alone. Honestly, Barton Fink, Big Lebowski, Lebowski yeah. and uh, yeah. 
I bet there's a third. I'm trying to decide. Uh, oh, brother, oh, brother right Mark, though, is he in enough? Uh, is he in, in kind that of enough? One scene guys, right? He's a cyclops in that. Two. Yeah. Oh, true. <laughs> Which him reappearing at the end of that movie is the I best. That I love it so much. Um. Oh my god, he's so good. I love the Coen Brothers. God, I love that movie. Brothers. It's not even a top five Coen Brothers for me. Oh, Brother yeah. Art, though? That's, how, that's just how good they are. Agreed. Like, no, it's like, no knock on that movie. It's like 10. Yeah, no knock on that movie. Oh, and it's they're so good. Just, that's how good they are. It's my favorite Clooney performance, honestly. Out of sight. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jana, come on. All what? right. I mean, the, so I... I Oh, Brother Where Art Thou is is the the Clooney performance in Oh, Brother Where Art Thou is better than Out of Sight. So while I was watching Out of Sight last night, um, please go, Steven. Please go, Steven Soderbergh. Matt and I were having a debate about sort of our favorite like Clooney type because he can go back and forth between being the super like suave cool guy and then being just the complete and total buffoon and so it's it's kind of hard. I, I can't really pick because those are like the two like super suave guy and then just completely ridiculous guy like i like them both i don't want to have to choose but the funniest thing about that is the character no brother art thou thinks he's the suave oh, yeah, guy no, that's what's so great with his depredan man. man well i was gonna say and out of sight he's kind of both he is kind of both uh i what made us start talking about it is the scene in out of sight when they like emerge during the escape and he's like covered in the mud like that mm. might as well be a scene in oh brother art yeah thou. yeah <laughs> Um, so, okay, I'll go next. I probably would have picked the Coen brothers. I mean, they just, I I love all of them. Maybe the inside Lewin Davis yeah. is. I think in this like, decade, there's the biggest chance that you guys might pull off from the safe yeah. pick, and that's why I wanted to yeah, go first. Yeah, I mean, in, inside Lewin Davis literally might be my favorite movie of all time. Like, I just, I, it really resonated with me. I love it so much. Um, love all their movies. But um, since we already talked Coen brothers, I will uh, shout out Steven Soderbergh. I realize he's one of those. I mean, the highs are high and the lows can be pretty low. Um, I realize that. But uh, just watching Out of Sight last night really reminded me how, like, he has such a distinct style, um, which I know is not for everybody. And that can be a turnoff as well. But I like it. I like watching a movie and going, yep, this is a Steven Soderbergh movie. You know, everything's a little bit orange for no reason, and that's fine. Um, <laughs> you know, he's got the the one score he really uses a lot. But, um, yeah, I like his adventure-ness. not the word I'm looking for. But I hmm. like that he tries really interesting and different things. I mean, you know, his big 2000 with like Aaron Brockovich and traffic, I think is a fascinating, um, you know, one, two example. Um, they're both fine movies. Like I, I, they're not my favorite, um, Soderbergh movies by any stretch of the imagination, but they're both fine. Um, I saw sex lies and videotape years and years and years ago. That was one of those blockbuster ones where I'm like, Oh, this movie has a weird title. I should watch it. Um, and it's fascinating. It's, you know, it's very important. How is that? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I like Sex, Lies, and Videotape. It's really, it's very important in terms of like, you know, late 80s, early 90s indie film and has a very uh, intense and disturbing James Spader performance. And, but yeah, but then to go from something like that and then, you know, to the Oceans movies is just, mm. I, I like the range. I like the style. Um, you know, I, 
his most recent stuff, I, I appreciate that he's like, I'm going to just make a bunch of movies on iPhones because that's what I want to do now, which, you know, I liked High Flying Bird. I thought that was a really interesting movie um, that I liked what he was going for. I'm not going to stand up for the laundromat. The laundromat's really bad. Um, like almost. The laundromat made me so mad. It's it's almost disqualifyingly bad. Same thing for me. I like I I thought you know I don't know the trailers look okay. I mean people say it's not good, and then I sat down and I watched it, and it is kind of infuriating. Uh, it it makes it's one of those things that he he makes choices. And they really don't work in that movie. But uh, after I saw that movie, I was like, "Is is Meryl Streep actually a bad actress?" Yes, like, yes, it will make you think that. Especially, it can't it be ends, that bad. It's on a note. It's so it just, the way it ends is insane. That's the thing. It's the it's the craziest ending I've ever. It's maybe. I mean, if you literally have nothing else to do, it's maybe worth watching just to watch how it ends because you can't believe it's happening while it's happening. It's, and it does make you think that maybe Meryl Streep's dying is, is over a bad here. actress and maybe a bad person. Like, it's very weird. It's it's so bad that it's almost like, it's almost majestic. It is. It. <laughs> oh I know. Now, I know I feel like we're talking it up too much, but it truly was the strangest thing I saw in a movie last year and I could not believe what I was seeing. Um, so, you know, Big wow. swings, but go back and watch Logan Lucky. Uh, that's a fun movie. Logan Lucky's you know. a blast. That's a blast. Yeah. So, but yes, I mean, it, if you hadn't picked the Coen Brothers, I'd probably pick the Coen Brothers. But I do want to stand up for my guy Stephen. Yeah, and something Nick and Jana know um, about me personally is I'm not a big Soderbergh fan. He is. I think he's a wonderful writer, um, and I enjoy his movies, but. They both definitely give me crap for not being high on Soderbergh, so that I'm just gonna throw that it's out there good. and also throw it over it's pretty good. to Nick to hopefully not be picking Steven <laughs> Soderbergh. Uh, so I am gonna go with uh, the Oceans 11, 12, and 13. No, no, no. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna go with Wong Kar Wai. Um, I think yes, we talked yeah. recently That's just about pick. how In the Mood for Love is a perfect movie. Perfect. It's mm-hmm. perfect. Chunking Express is another. Perfect. I, the best thing I can say to describe Chunking Express is I used to hate the song Hotel California, and then I wow. saw Chunking Express, and now I really like it. Yeah, I still hate that song, but it is it's 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 great in that movie. Um, and then like Fallen Angels is a great movie. Even mm-hmm. some of like Grandmaster is an incredible, but it's still really fun. It's really good. Um, and his pairings. What's the weird? He made like a weird English language movie. <laughs> so that one I can't defend. Uh, My That's, Blueberry Nights. Yes, yes, that one. <laughs> with um, Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman, Jude Law, and Nora Jones. Oh right, sure, Nora Jones. Why not? Yeah, yeah sure. Why not? Um, yeah, that one. That was a movie he made. Yeah. Uh, Grandmaster is still pretty good. It's like one of his luster movies, but I still really enjoy it. Happy Together is an amazing movie. Um, he's just the the way he shoots movies. I think is different than anyone else, and um, especially in the mood for love. Like I I can't say enough about how beautiful that movie is on every single level. Like the the writing and the story itself are incredibly moving. The the two lead performances are two of my favorite lead performances that I've ever seen. The music and the visuals, the costumes, like I'm not really 
the type of person to pay attention to costumes for the most part, but my god, like, have costumes been better than the dresses that Maggie Chung? Oh, god, how do you, how no. do you feel about the ending of In the Mood for Love? Uh, breaks me in half. It makes yeah. me feel incredibly upset <laughs> and moved in a way that but- I think it's supposed to, and. You know, I, I appreciate that a movie can make me feel that way. Fair enough. <laughs> the, the word associating the association there would be painful. Yeah. Mm. yeah, I mean, I think I think that's a great pick. I'm glad uh, you picked him so that we could talk about those movies. Uh, the only ones I've seen are In the Mood for Love and Chunking Express, but they really are two perfect movies. Same here. So it's yeah. I think that's even based on nothing else. I think that's. A really, and that's kind of why for me this decade was particularly hard because between the Coen brothers, Soderbergh, Wong Kar Wai, and that is leaving out like I like Rob Reiner's movies. <laughs> like Rob Reiner is awesome. I think I think the American President is like an underrated classic. Okay, no. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 I stand by it. <laughs> I watch that movie like twice a year. <laughs> that's the one Rob Reiner movie I've do, never really gotten into. Actually, and a few good men. See, and that's maybe it's just say, the Aaron. Like maybe it's the Aaron Sorkin. I also, th- Rob I also think that a few good men is like a fantastic movie. But I realize that if you're not on board for it's Sorkin, it's hard to. Uh... Yeah, I'm. I'm not going to ever go to bed for Sorkin. Sorry, <sighs> man. You guys, I love Sorkin. <laughs> it's a good movie. I kind of like all of those movies. <laughs> I like Molly's Game. Um, <laughs> But no, I do. I do. I never All saw right. Molly's Game. It's good. Neither have I, but I've heard it's good. not great I've things about good. it almost unanimously. Really? I, oh, really? Yeah, I think it's good. I, I think people like it, but I mean, it's it's extremely Sorkin-y. And so I, you know, I'm not going to recommend it to someone who is not uh, going to the enjoy Sorkin. that. I might just watch it to record a podcast <laughs> of me like groaning and complaining through the whole thing. <laughs> See, I, I love him when he's on. Like, I think he's on in Social Network. I think he's on in Moneyball. But mm-hmm. he is on. It I, Steve Jobs, I think, is it's all right. Um, I, I I hated the newsroom. Yeah, yeah well, yeah, I just the newsroom's bad, the worst yeah, thing. Yeah, bad, very bad. That is the worst of Sorkin. I can't imagine Molly's game being worse though. It's not. It's not worse than the newsroom. Nothing is worse than the newsroom. I mean, uh, well, okay, good. Some things, but no other Aaron Sorkin content is worse than the newsroom. Good, good, good. All right, so we're approaching an hour and twenty minutes. We yep. have three more decades. I think the last, the last one's going to be super gonna be short. short. Do you think we yeah. can make yeah. it? We can fly through yeah. those. I think. Mm-hmm. All right. Do you want me All to right, read so... the nineties? Yeah, right, it's nineties, right? Okay. We have Alfonso Cuarón, Park Chan Wook. Ang Lee, Paul Thomas Anderson, Brad Bird, Quentin Tarantino, Baz Luhrmann, David Fincher, Wes Anderson, The Wachowskis, Todd Haynes, Guillermo del Toro, and Satoshi Kon. I loved you throwing Baz Luhrmann on yeah. there. That absolutely was infuriating. <laughs> <but laughs> I like Moulin Rouge, to be fair. But oh, I'm, a, I'm a big Romeo and Juliet fan slash defender i never oh, got God. that try, try but... being a 13 year old girl when that movie came out and uh <laughs> i can imagine honestly although i think it holds up I, I don't think it's all about the context but um i for what it's worth i'm not going to pick baz Luhrmann. i just feel like you know deserve a spot on the who are you going to pick jen list. i want oh no he went first last time um nick, nick, okay, yeah, go nick first. you go first you go first um, I have. I, I feel like my runner-up will get picked anyway, so I'll just I'll just cut to the chase. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, I I love all of his movies. There will be blood is probably a top ten for me. Um, 
It's insane. Everything, say, everything he's made. You say that's good. insane, Dylan? No, oh, it's, it's just insane. an insane okay, movie. Okay. <laughs> it's it's insanely good. Sorry. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> no, like we were talking the other day about how, like, the way he used Philip Seymour Hoffman it, in huge parts, like in The Master, and in tiny parts where he only has, what, like, two minutes of screen time in Heart mm-hmm. 8. And yeah. yet, <laughs> it's just so funny and it's so memorable. Um, his movies are all over the place. And some of them, like Magnolia, it's a huge mess, but I still adore it. It's a lovable yeah, mess. I, I still adore it. And some of his movies are just like perfectly assembled, like The Master or The Will Be Blood or uh, Phantom, yeah, Phantom Thread. Thread. I mean, Please. God. Respect. So, I. I and if, if, if we're going to kind of compare off of Hitchcock when you described him as a director that doesn't get good performances in his movies. PTA might be the greatest director of absolutely getting his performances to be yeah. perfect. Although it helps that he has Philip Seymour Hoffman in like five or six of his movies. He has Daniel Day-Lewis in a couple of his movies playing the lead. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I like without a doubt, it's it's PTA for me. Mm-hmm. What about you, Jana? All right. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good pick. Um, this is another hard decade for me. There's a lot of my favorite all-time filmmakers are in here um and i can't pick more than one so (laughs) i'm gonna go with wes anderson um i'm a huge wes anderson fan i was thinking i was looking at this list and i was thinking okay if i could like my tiebreaker for this particular decade was going to be okay if i could only go back and just watch one of these directors movies Mm -hmm. uh which ones would i want to go back and watch and maybe it'd be paul thomas anderson but I wanted to go a different route. So I know the Wes Anderson thing is a whole thing. Um, and I totally understand the people who react like violently to it and have no, uh, no like room for that in no, their lives. Boo, I get boo, those, boo those people. I mean, I want to boo those people, but I try to be understanding of uh, a variety of opinions, but um, you know, he's really, really good at, at what he does. And yes, he creates yes. a little dollhouse and moves the pieces around and tells his stories, but it's, it works. But who cares when it's Grand Right, Rupes? exactly. And I am a particular fan of Moonrise Kingdom. Um, that's my favorite. That, mm-hmm. That's probably my favorite. It's it's either that Whoa. or uh, Royal Tenenbaums, because Royal Tenenbaums is I, that movie. The scene in Royal Tenenbaums at the beginning when they let Mordecai the bird fly away and then the instrumental version of Hey Jude starts playing and I'm just like crying on my sofa. Um, I, I love that movie. But yeah. I, That's an ultimate it, it really is. I'm just like sitting there just like sobbing. I do that every time. I've seen that movie a hundred times. Um, but no, Moonrise Kingdom I think is really underrated. Um, speaking of getting good performances, the, the performances in Wes Anderson movies are typically we're within a range, you know, he's not giving people tons of room to, to sort of try stuff. It's all definitely within his little world. But I mean, I think, you know, the performance he gets out of the kids in that movie and then even the smaller adult, yeah. I, I think Edward Norton is so good in that movie. <laughs> like he's playing like a likable guy. So that's, you know, a pretty transformative performance for Edward Norton. Um, yeah, it's just, I, 
I love his movie. And, and Grand Budapest, I mean, talking about performances, that Ray Fiennes performance is absolutely unbelievable. Like, I, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very excited about his new movie. I really hope it comes out and I can go to a theater and see it. Um, yeah, Wes Anderson. Nice. I think I'm probably a little bit lower on Wes Anderson than you two. I find his, as, as you put it, Jana, his thing um, interesting, but never totally engrossing for me outside of Grand Budapest. But I still really like um, Moonrise Kingdom a lot and Royal Tenenbaums. Um, but I, I'm going to completely agree with you on the Ray Fiennes performance in Grand Budapest. That's like a performance of the decade for me. And also Sersha and I don't remember the name of the other kid. Uh, the, the Tony Rivalori. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. perfect. Yeah, that's a that's a great movie. All right, so all right, my pick. Actually, I'm quickly curious, Nick. Who was your runner up? Uh, I, I thought Jana was going to pick Quentin Tarantino, so I didn't even say his name. That was my runner up too. We're not picking Tarantino. <laughs> Sorry, Q. Sorry, Quentin. I am absolutely okay with that happening. We'll get a, I'm sure he'll get over it. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, I'm, you know, no one on any movie podcast ever talks about Quentin Tarantino. I don't yeah. know what he's gonna do. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure we'll get to Quentin Tarantino movies at some point. Um, and I will respond with interest and that's it. <laughs> <Delight>. <laughs> unless we're talking about it, unless we're talking about Inglorious Bastards or Jackie Brown. Fair enough. Anyway. My choice, um, this was an, one of the few decades, besides maybe the uh, the 30s when uh, we did The Archers, or was it 40s, um, that I immediately knew who my choice was, um, and that's Alfonso Cuaron. I love everything I've seen him do, and I find he has incredible range um, from, like, really dark and sad, like, mature movies like Roma... Actually, I don't know how dark Roma is, but that's pretty a dark. Solid yeah, it's got movie. some dark bits to it. Yeah, it's, especially some... in the riot scene. Yeah, and yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, but that and like Children and Men, and then he also can come over and do pretty family failure, like Little Ugh. Princess, which I love. That movie. Little Princess, that movie does not get the respect it deserves, and the third Harry Potter movie, the fact that he just jumped into one of the biggest movie series of all time and was like, I'm gonna like knock it out right. of the park. And do it something completely different from Chris Columbus, who I'm not a Chris Columbus fan. No. I didn't grow up on Home Alone. I don't get the whole Home Alone thing. Sorry. Um, I I just think he's awesome. Um, Coron's a good pick. He, I, he also has Itu Mama Tambien, which is not my personal favorite Quaron movie, but still excellently made. I I just, I, I think Quaron is wholly underrated. And I didn't even mention Gravity, which is probably most people's favorite or maybe his most popular movie which i enjoyed but don't love but is still a fantastic watch at least in and of itself um it kind of still saddens me that that was probably the movie he had the most success from given he made stuff like little princess people come on i'll go to back for gravity i love gravity i like gravity i know you do and i think my tepid liking towards it can be balanced out with your love for it when I am bringing up my Quaron pick for <laughs> best of the nineties. So yeah, that's my, that's mine. Okay. All right. Is it my turn to read? I, I think, think it's my so. Turn to read. All right. Two thousands. Um, this is going to be interesting. 
So we have Andrea Arnold. Why did I have to get this name? Oh. Uh, Peachapong <laughs> Viras. Virasethical, I think. That sounds right. Yeah. Um, someone who is awesome. He goes crazy. by Joe sometimes. Yeah. Really? I think, I've, I, I've okay. seen that. Too. Yeah, because I think he trained. I think he did film school at like U Chicago or some somewhere in the states. So he sometimes goes by Joe. We can call him Joe. All right. I'll call him Joe. Weird says that does cool. <laughs> All right. Barry Jenkins, Bong Joon Ho, Deborah Granick, Edgar Wright, Lee Chang Dong, Rian Johnson, Sean Baker, Sophia Coppola, which we didn't have Francis Ford Coppola in our short list. Sorry, Francis. Nice. <laughs> Steve McQueen, Taika Waititi, and Yorgos Lathamos. That is a stacked lineup. It's a good I, list. I need Jana to, or I need Jana to go okay. first. Okay, I mean, I'll go first just so we can uh, have the conversation. It's Sofia Coppola. <laughs> um, Thank yeah. you. I, I, I didn't. I wasn't a hundred percent sure that I knew you'd pick yeah. it, but that makes my it's life Sophia a little Coppola, bit easier. Uh, she's one of my ultimate favorite directors. Um, there's other directors on here too who I really loved their movies, but where they've made one or two movies and you know they've they've been excellent. Um, Sofia Coppola has made a half a dozen movies that I really, really love. Um, mm-hmm. You guys have heard me. Hasn't she only made a okay. half a dozen movies? Probably a half dozen movies is about exactly right. So maybe five movies that I really love. Um, I've seen them all except for somewhere. Um, Excellent movie. Yeah, I need, to, I need to catch up with that one. Uh, Virgin Suicides for me. It's just, it's an all-time movie. Um, it's so beautiful. It, I saw it. When it came out around this time, I would have been about 15, 14, 15, um, when that came out. And it just totally, like, I'd never seen a movie that sort of looked like that. It's so dreamy. Um, I did eventually see Picnic at Hanging Rock and go, oh, that movie kind of looks like that, too. But it's <laughs> but it's it's not quite that. It's not that derivative. It's It's so dreamy and lived in. And she really, you know, she gets knocked for sort of making movies about poor little rich white girls, um, which, you know, she does a little. But I also admire her for seemingly writing what she knows (laughs) or making movies. She's the only person that could pull off, like, poor rich white people and make it like still emotional and like you really care for these people's right. problems. Right. And the the some of the common, you know, some of the pushback on that I've seen is like, well, I don't really want to see her necessarily try to tackle uh something gritty that's or kinda something. Ha- that's like kind that. of my take on it. Like I I right. really don't want to see her version right. of I, you know, I, like 12 years of slave or something my oh god. god. Like I oh, what a nightmare. The world I mean, doesn't the world doesn't need that. Like she's right. I mean, she's found a niche that she's very good at right. find to let her swim in, in that pond. Yeah, she she can stay in her lane. Um but yeah, it's um I think Bling Ring is a really fun movie. That is a good example of what you were saying where it actually you find yourself sort of relating to these characters even though they're like really bad unsympathetic people. Um, pulls off the same trick with Marie Antoinette in a lot of ways, which is another movie that when I saw it was like, oh, I didn't know you were allowed to do this. Like they're running around listening to like 80s punk rock music and yet it's, you know, the French court. Uh, yeah, love love her movies. Mm, yeah. Nick, um, how much are you struggling in this decade? Not really. Um, 
I can you yeah yeah I'll go. I'm gonna go with Bong Joon Ho. Um, he's a director that I I, I loved for a while. I think the first movie of his I saw was The Host, and then I was huge on Snowpiercer. Like I thought Snowpiercer was a blast. Like really fun. Um, like at times really funny, but also like just one of the bleakest <laughs> movies that that has been out so in the last dark. like five or so years. Uh, and then he topped. Uh, what I thought was a pretty solid run off with Parasite, which is probably his best work. Mm-hmm. And it was like him winning the Oscar was just one of those moments where this was a director who he was one of my guys. And now I get to share that with everybody else. And it just made me feel so good that Parasite was, was this huge phenomenon and he got all this attention for it. And everyone else is starting to go back now and see all these movies that are so fun. And I think he's a great director. Like Memories of Murder is probably wow. If that or Parasite are kind of neck and neck for me, um, like that's a movie that more people are going to go back and try to see. I don't think it's readily available now, but Criterion's supposedly releasing it. He just mixes genre, like he bounces back and forth between like comedy and drama and horror and sci-fi and slapstick so well in a way that i don't think anyone else really pulls off the way that he does um so he's a guy who every time he comes out the movie i i need to see it and the most recent time i mean parasite was one of the best movies of the decade Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so yeah it it was not that hard for me to choose bong joon ho um i think lee chang dong if i'd maybe seen more of his movies could be in the conversation but i'm going with director bong yeah, that's, I mean, it's a really good pick. I've only seen the two English language movies and Parasite. Um, so I definitely oh. need to go back and, you know, The Host and Memories of Murder. Um, but man, speaking of act- directors working with actors, I love per- the performances in all of Bong Joon Ho's movies. And I don't know if it's says he just gives people the freedom to just, you know, go huge or like how collaborative that whole process is. Um, but that's some of my favorite things about his movies. I mean, they're meticulously designed and, and shot and everything as well, but I love the performances in his movies. Yeah, he he gets really great performances out of his actors, and especially talking about directors that like work with the same actor. Like, um, Is it Song Kang-ho or is it Song Kang-ho? I don't know. Hmm. I don't know either, but he is so good in every movie he's in. Memories of Murder, Parasite, and hosts should have all gotten him Oscar nominations, honestly. In acting, he's wonderful. I love him. I love Bong. Which is good, because those were the two directors I was thinking of besides my other one. So yeah, I think I, I know where you're going. my yeah. pick. Where, where well, am I going, Nick? I'm surprised you're even thinking. I thought for sure you would have gone Barry Jenkins like without hesitation. It's the fact that he's only made three movies and I've only right. seen That's two. That's the tough part. But if we're talking about humanist filmmaking at its finest it's it's barry like he brings so much heart and thought into every character and every scene he's ever in and those movies are not kind stories they're really tough honestly and he brings still so much especially in if beale street could talk so much like brightness and hope out of so many parts of it and 
what a director of actors as mm-hmm. well with um like uh um all the um actors that play mm-hmm. Chiron which it's kind of sad that all three had to split a single role and all could be like best actor winners yeah. if they've just played the whole role the entire time and Mahershala Ali and Janelle Monet mm-hmm. all in that movie and um oh who played the mom yeah. Um, Harris. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God! What a performance! And like, well, uh, Brian Tyree Henry and If Beale Street could. And talk. the story I remember from when Moonlight came out about that was that he didn't have the actors who played Chiron meet each other or watch each other's tapes or anything like that. Like that's all his direction. Really? Yeah. He did not. They did not meet each other. They did not collaborate. He, he didn't show them any footage. That's all his like directing to bring out, you know, the sort of continuity of that character, which I think is so impressive. That's so that amazing because they real they really mesh yeah. together well. They're not inherently like mocking mm-hmm. each other's performances in a way, but it feels like a complete evolution of the same person. Yeah. It's amazing. Moonlight is came out a couple years ago and is in my I think my my top 3 to yeah. 5 movies of all time. I if if he had more movies, I would have easily gone with Barry Jenkins and the fact that you guys picked Sophia Copeland, Bong Joon Ho. Just it made my life yeah. easier that I could just say with like all my heart, Barry Jenkins, just thank you. Yeah. This is a this is a good movies. list. Um I know we're just about out of time. We have one more decade to go. Um I just also wanted to shout out Sean Baker here, because a lot of the stuff you said about mm-hmm. Barry Jenkins I think applies to Sean Baker as well in terms of like the humanism and um sort of just mm-hmm. the like care he has for the stories he tells same thing where he's only made two movies and but those two movies to me were both like in the top three yeah they were both in the top three for me of their years i mean florida project i just i can't even talk about that movie <laughs> like without getting very emotional about it that willem dafoe performance like my god is is just unbelievable to me um, and so, much, so care. much care and, and Tangerine I mean what he just accomplished with how that film was made and, and the performances and the, the first time actors and um, yeah I think that he would be a close one for me but it's the same thing where it's like two movies is really tough you know it's early early on mm-hmm. hopefully you know a lot more exciting movies coming from these guys another Nick and I talking while I did my um, movies of the last decade watches um was when I was watching Florida Project and Nick said the girl um, in Florida Project had one of the best child performances mm-hmm. of all time. And I was, um, in, it was in the diner scene. I texted Nick like, yeah, wow, she's like really good in this movie. And like Nick just almost didn't even respond to me because he had to wait until I got <laughs> I to the ending that. where <laughs> she breaks down. <laughs> and I was like, Nick, fuck yeah. you, man. This is the saddest thing. The ending of that movie. And then they run to Disney oh. World. No, that, oh. the ending of that movie, like... I think we were, you know, talking about how a bad ending to an otherwise good movie can really turn you off and like then a good ending sort of takes something to the next level. And that was that. I mean, I loved the movie from start to finish. And then the whole ending sequence from, you know, her breaking down and then running away and then the, you know, fantasy sequence from when she goes into the I like I I was like in my car the other day and heard um celebration by cool and the gang and got very like weird I was like, why do i feel like i'm gonna cry and i'm like oh the florida project okay cool 
I like Nick smiling yeah. through this entire conversation. <laughs> Sorry, I just hijacked this to talk about a second director. Um, all right, do we want to do our last uh, 2010? Yeah, yeah, I'll do it. Uh, mm-hmm. So right. for the 2010, it's a smaller list because I, I feel like there are people who like five years from now will go, oh yeah, they, they made a movie in 2018 that nobody saw, but mm-hmm. they also are on this list. But right now we have uh, Greta Gerwig, Ryan Coogler, Jordan Peele, Robert Eggers, Alex Garland, Ari Aster and Koganata. Real quick, um, are we all going Greta? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what if we just did a quick shout out to Greta, like what she means to you, and then do a okay. second pick? Because sure, fair, fair enough. The fact that Greta is so yeah. good is almost unfair to everyone here. So I think that would make it a little bit more interesting. But like, what does Greta mean to you guys? I mean, I, I'm very biased when it comes to Greta to begin with. Um, I She graduated the one year before me, or she might have been in my same year. Um, she obviously went to the all-girls private high school um, about a couple miles from where I went. I went to the public high school. Um, but, you know, I graduated from high school in 2002 in Sacramento, and then someone made a movie about it. Wow. Like, you know, I, I sat down and I watched Lady Bird, and it's just like, yeah, that's a, that's what happened. Like, I hung out with those girls at the mall when they got out of the private school, and, you know, I went to those goofy musicals that the schools put on. And um, so I, I cannot be impartial when it comes to Lady Bird. Um, but I think even in in the scenes where they're driving mm-hmm. around, did you know? All, oh, absolutely. like could you get the, like recognize the all those scene locations? where she talks about like I remember the first time I drove in Sacramento, and it's this mo- montage and this <laughs> place where she's exiting. It all made me very emotional. She's she's getting over this one part of the freeway interchange. It's the 16th Street exit. It's where you get off if you're going go to go to run to the Capitol building, and it's 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 a terrible freeway exit. You have to like cross over four lanes coming back and forth. And I remember when I was learning to drive, my mom taking me there and being like you have to be careful like you know when you drive here you have to you know check all your blind spots and everything um yeah and it, so it feels very purposeful like everything in that movie i mean in the rose garden and with the ice street bridge in the background and just it's you know i i think it's so wonderful and even before then i you know she also means a lot to me as an actress um you know she did not direct francis ha obviously but francis ha is a you know masterpiece of a movie and I remember when I bought the Criterion edition to Francis Ha and I was reading the booklet. I can't remember who wrote the essay for it, but there's a line in it um, about how at the midpoint of the movie when she has to go back home and she goes to Sacramento, to film in the Sacramento airport, and how it's like this – it's where the movie stops and takes a breath and it's like, you know, where you feel safe and um, – I. I just love everything about Greta. I mean, you know, even all of that aside, all the personal stuff aside, Lady, Lady Bird's such a well-made movie. It's so funny um, and so real. And then, you know, I Little Women was my favorite movie of last year. I think it's pretty impeccable. Um, yeah, Greta. Nick, any yeah, so I, like, the Lady Bird character is, uh, she graduated high school in 2003, which is when I graduated high school she she's a character i mean despite like i'm I'm a guy and like regardless she is somebody who i relate to so much um the interaction with her like i think it's the first time she meets timothy chalamet in the parking lot where she does something and he goes oh that's pretty anarchist and she goes yeah you better not tell anyone or i'll kill your (laughs) fucking family 
Oh my god. Where where she's trying to be playful, but she just goes too far, and she, mm-hmm. she makes it so awkward. I mean, if that isn't the perfect summation of like my every day of my teen years, then, <laughs> then I don't know what is. Like, uh, she just she nailed that character. Like Greta nailed the writing of that character, and she she paired it perfectly with Saoirse Ronan, and then she followed it with Little Women, which is uh, a movie that like. I'm familiar with the story of Little Women. I'd seen, I like, I have vague recollections of the uh, 1990s version, mm-hmm. um, but it's not anything that I felt particular affinity to. And I went to see it this year because I liked her as a director. And I remember like the first couple scenes. I'm like, all right, it's like a costume drama, and I know it's Greta, so I'll keep my mind open. But right now, I'm like kind of tired, and I'm not really feeling it right now and is this going to disappoint me and my god <laughs> like when when uh which sister is it beth mm. dies the, sa- the sad one Probably. Beth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. oh my god i was i was sobbing and the way she films that too i mean i've read With the, the book seen all the movies yeah i mean i knew yeah, it was gonna uh, happen i did not think i was gonna feel any way about it yeah um but yeah the way and that to me is why i think her her adaptation is so strong um because i like the parallel narratives and the way she sort of sets you up with beth's two illnesses mm-hmm. you know and and juxtaposes her getting better with yeah. her not is just it really it makes it feel twice as bad and yeah and it's it's not like I didn't know. Like I, I know the story. I'm, I'm yeah. I've seen Friends before. I know she, yeah, exactly. I, I know she dies. <laughs> Beth dies. Like you know, from in mo- I feel like most people seeing it know she dies, but mm-hmm. it, it still yeah, just devastated me. And then Chris, Chris Cooper's reaction, where he can't even walk in that. Like I, Mm-mm. I can't even think about it. I don't. Dylan, yeah. Dylan you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna reiterate everything you said. Um, for the sake of time and because. You guys are very eloquently, perfectly describing how wonderful Greta is. So let's real quickly. I want to um, give a shout out to all of her second choices. Jana, I think I know yours. What's your second choice? You know, I I want to throw a wild card here, but I, I'll be contradictory. I'll I'll stand up for Ari Aster. Um, I know you guys are not so. uh, big fans. I, I like you know all these other directors too, um, but I I loved Midsummer. I liked Midsummer more than Hereditary. Um, I think maybe Same. I think maybe I might have had Hereditary a little too overhyped for me, and when I went and saw it, like I actually didn't think it was that scary. But that's one of the things I liked about it. I thought it was upsetting and unnerving, um, but not super scary. Um, yeah, I like that sort of weird, messed up, uh, like totally screwed up take on the world. Um, those movies are both very dark and very. Um, I guess just yeah, unsettling. Like leave you feeling unsettled, but in a way that I responded well to. And I think Midsummer is beautiful. <laughs> like I want to go hang out mm-hmm. in mid at Midsummer. Um, you know, I realize that's not going to end well, but yeah. And you know, we were talking about who you want to see another movie from. Like I can't wait to see what he does next. I think it's something I'll get a real kick out of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I like Ari Aster. I am not the biggest fan, um, but I think both Hereditary and Midsummer have their great moments um especially midsomar um yeah i'm probably yeah. It, it, it it's almost too upsetting <laughs> yeah that's to fair. me like i, I can't i but both movies like in the midsomar beginning scene with the the sister and that's... hereditary with the sister 
those things were so upsetting that like I just you didn't out of it. Watch that, the I mean, rest that's movie. that's fair. I think if I hadn't seen Hereditary in a theater, like that might have been a just okay. I'm. <laughs> I'm standing up and walking out. Yeah, I stopped the movie when I, I watched I it. I probably would have and just left it. For I the probably next day. would have as well. I mean, it's it's truly one of the most shocking things I've ever seen in a movie, and I realize like there's no uh, inherent like positive value in shock factor. It can be a very bad thing, but it it pretty I it definitely just sort of locked me in because I was trapped in a theater. I was just like, well, I don't know what this movie is anymore. Like I think I thought I knew what this movie was about. I don't know what this movie's about, uh, and that worked for me. Yeah, I'm probably the biggest Ari Aster skeptic of the three of us. I think he's a good director. I, I'm not sold on his scripts, but uh, I found Hereditary very scary, actually. <laughs> it just kind of goes off the rails for me in what, the last 20 minutes in a way that kind of yeah. ruins the movie for me. Um, in Midsummer, I, I really like the Florence Pugh performance. I wasn't as high on it. Is It seems like the consensus is that everyone else really liked it. I was kind of on my own on that one, but... Uh, I didn't hate it. Nick, your second choice? Uh, my second choice is Koganada. He only made one movie so far, but right, um, huh? Columbus is... Oh, my God. It's a fantastic movie. Um, yeah. It's a movie that's really about just, like, architecture. Like, it's it's a movie that's 50% about architecture, and, and yet it's still such a great... Like, like you are saying, humanist. That, I mean, that's a humanist movie. I, yeah. Um, it's like about empathy, kind of. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> I need to see this movie. Yeah, I think you'd love it. A humanist movie about it's, empathy uh, that isn't violent. No, or no, it's just two people talking and admiring architecture. That's literally what it is. Yeah, and uh, is it like an Ozo movie? No, it's kind of like um, the Before trilogy. Yeah, that's a good. That sounds nice too. Um, as long as it's not too before midnight. That no, 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 it's no. like before sunrise. Yeah. Um, but I, I love John Cho in that movie. I think he's Ugh. so good in that movie. He's fantastic, and and Haley Lou Richardson. Like, yes. I mean, that between that and support the girls, I just want to see her like be a huge star. She's yeah. so great. Yeah. So I would go with Coco. Right, what so, about you, Don? Yeah. I was kind of hoping you'd pick Alex oh. Garland because I know I know you yes. love like Annihilation and Ex Machina, and and I do too. Um, I'm probably going to go with Coogler, though. I I don't know of directors that have had three movies this decade. I don't know if anyone did it better than Coogler, Fruitville Station, um, Creed, and Black Panther. Those are all knockouts. Those are all emotional. Those are all very watchable. They're all wonderful. And did, did, Does he have a fourth movie? I'm trying to think. I feel like he has a fourth movie. But those are his three big ones, at least. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't so. think so. Nothing I can think of. Yeah. Okay, maybe I'm making something <laughs> up in my head, but I, I love all three of those movies, especially Creed. Creed's Creed amazing. Is, Creed's great. Oh my gosh, the, 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 um, the, the, um, what are those things called? The four-wheel motorcycle things? Ugh. When they're running behind oh, them. Oh, yeah. And in, that scene, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the theme song is kind of pumping. Yeah. I, oh I am gosh. not a Rocky fan, it's, but that got me emotional. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, neither am I. I mean, I think the Rocky movies are fine, but I have no personal affinity to them at all. And I went into Creed like, we'll see how this is. You know, it's it's uh, Christmas break. Let's, you know, go see a movie. And I cried like three times in that movie alone. It was so good. good. 
But yeah, do want to quickly shout out Alex Garland. It was very good. He, he would have been my third spot behind Greta. Mm-hmm. He'd have been my third too. Yeah, no, I I love yeah. those movies. Um, Ex Machina in particular, I think is so good. Uh, I love and I, I love well I really like Annihilation I had a problem in that I'd read the book first and so I had expectations and that's always a terrible thing going into a movie especially like that when it's kind of an unfilmable book and I think he did a really good job uh, you know given that he had to film that absolutely insane story <laughs> and I love Andre yeah, how, 20, or not Andre just regular 28 Days Later oh yeah he wrote um, yeah oh yeah. he did mm-hmm. yeah. oh wow um, was there the the talking bear in the book yeah yeah there that is the most oh, it's very upsetting I've ever it's seen in my very life very upsetting yeah all the all the animal stuff is <laughs> yeah. disturbing and people turning into trees and the ending, and the, ending that, yeah. the, the ending is the that makes yeah. so good anyway well we thought we'd keep this between an and hour and an hour and a half and I, we're almost at yep. two hours there's a lot of so decades. we're gonna wrap it up there exactly there are and we had some i loved the discussion today you guys i really enjoyed this um thank you for yeah, coming it's great oh yeah. the people listening enjoyed it too yeah um so roger out and when i go to the movies i am that person on the screen i am having vicariously an experience that happened to someone else and that makes me a better person that to see good films and to see important films is one of the most profoundly civilized experiences that we can have as people.